the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. And uh, obviously the world has been following the tragedy in the Middle East and the war uh, of Israel with Hamas and so much happening in this great big world and also the death of Henry Kissinger. Now, there's been uh, several biographies that have been written about Henry Kissinger and his life. There's a very interesting one that I think is either just recently written or being written by uh, Neil Ferguson, who is a former um, Harvard um, historian who went to the Hoover Institute. He is um, a really well-known historian. But Henry Kissinger, um, obviously, well, can you believe it? He died at the age of 100 yesterday. He was born in um, 1923. His family escaped Nazi Germany. He became a naturalized citizen of the United States at age 20. And, of course, Fox News and a number of other different outlets are reporting that he passed away in his home in Connecticut. He served as the Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor under Presidents Richard Nixon and, um, and Gerald Ford. Now, what's interesting also, uh, Kissinger was known it, what, what, what people call a real politic. In other words, he had an obje- he had a realistic, practical objective. Instead of uh, using moral ideals, he conducted conversations with warring entities or conflict zones with secret diplomacy. So Kissinger was a big proponent of secret diplomacy. And it was his secret diplomacy that reduced um, and eased tensions with China. And so you've got to understand something. He won the Nobel Prize in 1973 for negotiating the Paris Peace Accords. But remember, it was in October of 1963 that the the Arab-Israeli war that took place over 50 years ago sprung up in the Middle East. And um, he has been remembered favorably by some, and he has been remembered not so favorably by others. Uh, People criticized him for the bombing in Cambodia during the Vietnam War, uh, supporting Pakistan's genocide in Bangladesh, approving Argentina's dictatorship's dirty war against dissidents. But um, he he sort of both understood his Jewish roots, if you will, 
but seemed to sort of have moved away from his Jewish roots. So uh, Walter Isaacson, who just finished a biography of Elon Musk, also wrote a biography about Henry Kissinger. And he basically said um, in, in his biography that Henry Kissinger grew up with that mix of ego and insecurity that comes from being the smartest kid in his class. So he goes on, he will go to Harvard, to Harvard Graduate School, and, um, and get a Ph.D., he uh, attended George Washington High School. He served in the United States military. Um, and he joined Harvard's faculty, and he specialized in international relations. And some of you may or may not know that he was a big fan and follower of Ayn Rand, <laughs> which I found interesting so long ago um, because it tells me a little bit about his worldview and philosophy. Hey, the number if you want to join me on the program is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And in 1968, Kissinger was handpicked by Richard Nixon to be his national security advisor. And he was appointed Secretary of State in his second term. And so Kissinger also served in positions during the Ford administration after um, Nixon resigned in disgrace, if you will. And Kissinger left politics after Ford failed to win re-election in 1976. He returned to academia. He jo joined Georgetown's University's Center for Strategic and International Studies think tank, he would go on and influence a number of different people, including people like Condoleezza Rice, who's now the part owner of the Denver Broncos. And um, Richard Nixon's daughters issued a statement today. They said, quote, on behalf of our family and all of those who worked with our father and Dr. Kissinger in a partnership that produced a generation of peace for our nation, we express our deepest condolences on the passing of one of America's most skilled diplomats, unquote. And it was signed by Tricia Nixon and Julie Nixon Eisenhower. And in a statement released uh, yesterday, former President George Bush said of Kissinger, quote, America's lost one of the most dependable and distinctive voices on foreign affairs. And so the, the accolades and the... The uh, both the criticisms, but also the fond remembrances are pouring in. So clearly he made a significant influence um, in the world in which I grew up in. And as you can imagine, here we are fast forward 50 years from 1973 and Israel has confirmed a, a t a yet another temporary pause in the Hamas war, that it's going to be extended for at least one more day. But again, principals in the Israeli government have said, yes, we have a ceasefire. But guess what? When the ceasefire is over with, the, day, the moment it ends, fire, he said. So... There doesn't seem to be a lot of incentive for the terrorists to give up their hostages 
knowing that once they are able to get as many hostages as possible or all of the hostages, Israel has made it clear, clear, clear that they're going to go forward um, with with their stated goal, which is to not just eliminate Hamas, but destroy it. And so so what we know so far is... um, that releasing the hostages is really vital to Israel's strategy. But, you know, I've had the great privilege of working with many Israeli individuals over the years, had the great privilege of visiting um, Israel many, many times. And it's been my experience that Israel has this ability to appear weak when they are very, very strong. And Hamas has the ability to appear strong when they are very, very weak. So my my money is on Israel in in resolving this conflict. And interesting, my friend Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum and, and Christian had, uh, ChristianHeadlines.com. He writes something interesting today in his posting that I want to share with you when we come back. Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935, if you want to join me on the program. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. I was talking a little bit about Henry Kissinger, the American diplomat and Nobel Prize winner who died yesterday at the age of 100. Maybe um, tomorrow I might have a few more things to say. But on his X account or Twitter account, Neil Ferguson, that great historian, has posted this uh, note. He said, quote, In this job, you have only two choices. You are either funny deliberately or you are funny unintentionally. That was a quote from Henry Kissinger in 1976. And Neil Ferguson said, I look back on an intimidating yet wise cracking personality who embodied all the complexity of the 20th century itself. What? What a brief but absolutely powerful way of summing up his life. And um, that's so interesting. 303-873-1935. Before we get going here, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about a posting that um, that my friend Jim Dennison has made at the Dennison Forum and at ChristianHeadlines.com. And at ChristianHeadlines.com, for today's posting, he he talks about the hostage situation. He's been posting a lot on this. And today he brought up the interesting story of Emily Hand. Emily Hand, he, he writes, is an example of the Israeli children hostages. He says, after the nine-year-old was freed by Hamas, her father described her condition. Quote, she was just whispering. You couldn't hear her. 
I had to put my ear on her lips. She'd been conditioned not to make any noise. You could just see glassy-eyed terror. He added, quote, Last night she cried until her face was red and blotchy. She couldn't stop. She didn't want any comfort. I guess she's forgotten how to be comforted. She went under the covers of the bed, the quilt, covered herself up, and quietly cried, unquote. It's that little um, image in microcosm that I want you to be able to understand. Um, I know that people are going to be talking about the children on both sides. They're going to be talking about the horror and the terror. And, you know, um, there was a very famous public intellectual um, who basically was in the conflict zone in Israel. His name is Douglas Murray, and I follow his blog. And uh, even though he is not what I would call a card-carrying evangelical, he says things that are so insightful and sometimes even astonishing. He was talking about when you're in a war zone, people talk a lot about life and the meaning of life. And he, in, his, in an article that he recently wrote, he talked about in order to understand, quote-unquote, the meaning of life, you have to at least have some understanding of the meaning of death and an awareness of death. He also said something pretty remarkable. He said that war in many ways seems to be the most wicked evil that human beings can thrust upon each other. And I think that he's right. 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935, again, at his daily article, he writes in a little segment in the article, he says, quote, the headline is, the danger many Jewish people fear the most. He says, anti-Israel propagandists have claimed for years that Israel stole and colonized its land from the rightful Palestinian owners. And he's done a masterful job, by the way, of, um, of, of summarizing, if you will, and then giving a clear picture of what has happened in a digital book, The War in Israel, what you need to know about the global, about this crisis of global significance. And by the way, he has a free digital book uh, download at, um, at the Denison Forum. And you can find it at the Denison Forum if you just do the search of war, the war in Israel. It'll take you right to it. And um, David Rubin notes, quote, billions of people around the globe are able to celebrate the birthday of a Jewish man born Bethlehem 2,000 plus years ago. But they don't think Jews lived there before 1948, 
unquote. Isn't that an amazing statement? Billions of people around the globe willing to celebrate the birthday of a Jewish man born in Bethlehem 2,000 plus years ago, but can't bring themselves to believe that Jews were living there. And so now apologists for Hamas are claiming that the terrorists didn't commit atrocities on October 7th while demanding a permanent ceasefire that would eventually empower Hamas to slaughter more Israel Israelis in the future. But the more children kidnapped by Hamas and the more who tell their stories, the more difficult it becomes to defend those atrocities. And so Douglas Murray in his article basically talks about going into a forensic uh, lab in Tel Aviv with what's left of some of the victims of October 7th. Because he's keenly aware that just like there are Holocaust deniers, what seems so unbelievable is that there could be deniers of the October 7th tragedy so quickly. He writes, uh, Jim Dennison writes, and I quote, this ideological war is consequential far beyond the Middle East. As Jewish American and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer writes in the New York Times, quote, too many Americans are exploiting arguments against Israel and leaning toward a virulent anti-Semitism, the normalization and intensification of this rise in hate is the danger many Jewish people fear the most, unquote. So Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer is willing to go on record that what Jews fear the most is that people will literally hate them and hurt them. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, a woman whose mother was a Holocaust survivor, and she talked about how her mother would constantly bring up during Nazi Germany in World War II she would say she couldn't quite understand how the friends and neighbors that she had grown up with could so suddenly and completely turn on her. And again, Senator Schumer documents the shocking rise of anti-Semitic violence. He says, quote, are we still a nation that can defy the course of human history where the Jewish people have been ostracized, expelled, and massacred over and over again? Jim Dennison writes, his question is obviously crucial for the future of Jews in America. But it might be vital for the future of America itself. Jew hatred might be the cause of the collapse of Western civilization. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935 if you want to join me on the program. It's so easy to do. You just pick up that phone, you dial the number 303 
873-1935. And of course, friendly Kelly sitting in the producer's chair will say, Hey, what's your question for Gino? And we'll make every effort to get your question on the program. 303-873-1935. I'm looking to get a copy of a book by Rosaria Butterfield. She's written a book called five lies of our anti-Christian age. And, um, it came out this year. And even though its title is about, it's a book about lies, it's also a book about the truth. And what's interesting to me is the five lies that she's picked out uh, in order to focus on in what she's calling the anti-Christian age. And in this book, she basically points out that... um, that people are really reluctant to tell the truth. She says, untangling oneself from deception isn't always comfortable. It doesn't feel good when the Band-Aid is ripped from the wound. And from time to time, the, the, the deceived are extracted gradually. But a partial revelation of the truth doesn't always convey the vast chasm of deception into which we've fallen. And so in her book, she talks about lies that have led us astray. And one of the statements that she makes is so compelling to me. It isn't simply that lying is wrong or lying is a sin. It is wrong and it is a sin But then she goes on to point out that it isn't just simply telling a lie that's a sin. It's believing a lie that's a sin. And she points to the very beginning in in the book of Genesis where it wasn't just, it wasn't Eve who told the lie. It was Satan. She believed the lie. And that was a sin. And so some of the uh, the lies that she talks about in this book is that, number one, homosexuality is normal. Now, what you may not know is that Rosaria Butterfield was a uh, an intellectual who was a part of the LGBTQ community. She was a militant lesbian who offered herself in service to lesbian causes. And she got wonderfully saved. She received Christ as her Savior. And so imagine she writes about lies that plague our culture, and she begins with her own journey, that the lie that she believed at one point, that homosexuality is normal. The second lie she talks about being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. The third lie she talks about feminism is good for the world and the church. The fourth lie she talks about is that transgenderism is normal. And the fifth lie out of all of the lies that she could have pointed out is very, very interesting to me. She says, quote, Modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. 
And it's very interesting to me that Butterfield's five lies may not be at the top of everyone's lying list. But it's interesting that she's chopping away. You know, it was the Nazi party, Joseph Goebbels, who is credited with the statement, quote, repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. Repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. Some Somebody has called this the law of propaganda. And of course, the first stage in changing a culture is to normalize the new quote-unquote truth or behavior, then legalize it, and then stigmatize those who oppose it, and then criminalize their opposition. And so when we ask and we answer the question, well, what happened? What happened? And if you would have told me 40 years ago, Should we criminalize homosexuality? I would have been the first to say, no, no, no. We don't want to criminalize homosexuality. But I had no idea in my naivete that by refusing to criminalize homosexuality, we would legalize homosexuality, celebrate homosexuality, and then criminalize the belief that it's wrong. And so Rosaria Butterfield has hit the proverbial nail on the head. So imagine if you want a lie to become the truth, say it over and over and over again. Tell the lie over and over and over again. And then make sure that you tell people that that's the new truth. Then legalize it. Then stigmatize those who oppose it. And then criminalize their opposition. So LGBTQ advocates, for example, have followed the playbook very effectively over the years. And to illustrate, you might think of Disney's new family Christmas movie. Disney's family Christmas movie that portrays a family with two fathers and features a boy calling another boy a hottie. So evangelicals who disagree with the sexualization of children, imagine you're a person who, and you go, hey, you know what? I think it's not only is it a bad idea, it's a, it's, it's a really wrong thing to sexualize children you run the risk of being stigmatized as being homophobic and a danger to society. And you might face legal and criminal penalties in the future. I'm not talking about being mean, wicked, sinful, or horrible to homosexuals. I'm talking about just publicly saying out loud, homosexuality is not normal. It's not normal. But what happens? What happens when we abandon biblical truth? What happens when we reject biblical morality? Then all of a sudden what the Bible 
says about us becomes absolutely true. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, Isaiah says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. It's interesting to me, Kelly, did you know that our friend Joel Rosenberg appeared before the Israeli Knesset today? I did not know that. He did. He had the opportunity to talk with them and pray with them for 12 minutes. Wow, what an honor. And in the and and in that 12 minutes one of the passages of scripture he quotes is the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59:2 where it says your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Here's Joel Rosenberg telling the Israeli people and the Israeli Knesset, we as a people need to turn to our shepherd God. We need to turn from our sin and repent of our sin and embrace the God of Israel. We need to confess that we haven't always been pursuing him. Isn't that interesting? This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program. Hey, if you'd like to give me a quick call, happy to take your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Again, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. It's so hard for me. I guess I was not completely aware at just how good uh, the uh, Colorado School of Mines football team is. Apparently, they're number one in the nation. And uh, congratulations to the Colorado School of Mines football program. This is not a sports program, but hey. I love sports. And by the way, I have a friend who used to be the quarterback for the School of Mines way back in the day. And um, Kelly, you'll remember my administrative assistant, um, Cindy Ronlove. Her oh, yeah, hus- I remember Cindy. Her husband in, in the 60s was a quarterback for the School of Mines. Back uh, uh, in no kidding. the day. Yeah, back in the day. And um, again, how how cool is that? Um, you know what? And again, as, as we, we've been talking about some of the difficulties, you know, when we talk about when we abandon biblical truth, when we reject biblical morality, and then we have to face the consequences. Um. We're grieved, but we're not surprised about what's going on in our country. You know, our our uh, Denver colleague who used to be on the air here and who put together that surprising documentary, Denver and Decay. Did you hear, Kelly, that the mayor of Denver had his car stolen? But this wasn't. Just the first time, it was the second time his car has been stolen. Should we be shocked and surprised that Denver is one of the ten, uh, is one of the cities where car theft takes place, one, one of the largest in the nation? So we're not surprised, but we are grieved when we hear about crime 
We're not, we are grieved, but we're not surprised that U.S. suicides have reached a record high last year or that overdose fatalities have risen fivefold in the last two decades or that 68% of us say that this is the lowest point in our nation's history that they can remember. They're talking about, again, <laughs> memory. You know, again, Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum in his article today, he talks about a sermon attributed to St. Machiris. He lived from about 300 to 391 A.D. And part of the sermon goes like this, quote, Now, remember, this is preached in the 4th century. Woe to the path that is not walked on or along which the voices of men are not heard. For then it becomes the haunt of wild animals. Woe to the soul if the Lord does not walk within it to banish with his voice the spiritual beasts of sin. Woe to the house where no master dwells, to the field where no farmer works, to the pilotless ship, to the storm tossed and sinking. Woe to the soul without Christ as its true pilot, drifting into darkness, buffeted by the waves of passion, storm tossed at the mercy of evil spirits. Its end is destruction. Woe to the soul that does not have Christ to cultivate it with care to produce the good fruit of the Holy Spirit. Left to itself, it is choked with thorns and thistles. Instead of fruit, it produces only what's fit for burning. Woe to the soul that does not have Christ dwelling in it, deserted and foul with the filth of its passions. It becomes a haven for all the vices, unquote. You know, it's interesting about that sermon, if you will, that little quote from a sermon. Isn't it interesting that it was preached 700 or 1,700 years ago? What's interesting is it's a sermon that could be preached right now. It's a sermon that explains and describes the spiritual condition of our culture. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we had Alistair Begg in the front range. And you'll remember, Kelly, when he spoke to a group of pastors here in uh, in Denver. And Alistair Begg's framework for preparing sermons, he would say... Think yourself empty. Read yourself full. Write yourself clear. Pray yourself hot. Be yourself. And then forget yourself. (laughs) Jesus said, well, actually, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Walk by the Spirit, 
and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And then, of course, Jesus said in John fifteen six, whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. And, of course, on this date, Oswald Chambers has this entry in his daily devotional, quote, there's only one relationship that matters, and that's your relationship with a personal Redeemer and Lord. Let everything else go, but maintain that at all costs, and God will fulfill his purpose through your life. One individual life may be a priceless value to God's purpose, and yours may be that life. Isn't that interesting? That might be your life. Maybe now is the day to reflect on your purpose and God's plan for your life. You know, the Bible says in Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. In other words, seeking God's kingdom first will provide your basic needs. And then in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, there's that interesting statement that the, the that Jeremiah says to the children of Israel, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And of course, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, it says, The Lord, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. So imagine the Lord is good to the one who seeks him. Seek God with all your heart, you'll find him. Seek God's kingdom first, and he's going to provide for you. And of course, in Psalm 34.10, the lion may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards those who seek him. You'll lack no good thing. This is Gino Dracy. Thanks for joining me. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.